this is this is my thing with 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 reaching millennials is um, number one, I got to show up where they are. I got to invite them to more social things so that they can encounter people. And then I do if the events that I offer are are built around encounters with the person of Jesus, not necessarily uh, lectures on this or that thing. Now, if if that should come out, awesome. I, I'm down. I'm down to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas any time of the day. <laughs> that being said, um, I think there is a a growing lack of awareness, a growing gap that people are just not paying attention to in the way that we approach doing ministry. You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, episode 32, Millennials, Clichés, and Catching Foxes. Today we sit down with Luke Carey and Michael Gormley, hosts of the Catching Foxes podcast and two incredible lay evangelists. We talk with them about reaching millennials with the message of the gospel, building communities of radical vulnerability, and the laity's vocation to bring our faith beyond the parish. These guys are hilarious, insightful, and passionate about reaching an almost completely unchurched generation. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today we are in studio with our own producer, Marisa Bayer, on the microphone, finally. So we're going to get a little bit of her feminine genius today. And we're also on the line on <laughs> Skype with uh, two guys you've probably heard of. If not, you should go download their podcast immediately. The hosts of Catching Foxes podcast, Luke Carey and Michael Gormley, a.k.a. Gomer. Welcome Aha. to the show, guys. Thank you. Happy to be here. So happy to be on the show. Us too. We did it. <laughs> Goals met. I'm retiring. <laughs> Hashtag bless. <laughs> Everyone I just waved. On a, I just waved on a podcast. Wow, sorry. Well done. Um, so we their their podcast is great. They're great, but they're on the show today not because they host the podcast, but because of who they are and what they do and how it relates to helping you in ministry. So that's why they're on the show today because they're really good guys who uh, know what they're doing and really love the Lord and want to help people in ministry. So. Um, so Luke, Luke Carey is the director of the office for Young Adult Evangelization and Discipleship in an unknown diocese, possibly somewhere in the United States. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, Gomer, you run Lay Evangelist. You're in, uh, you travel, speak. You also work at a parish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a full-time coordinator of adult faith formation at my parish. My title is coordinator of evangelization. I got my pastor to switch that two years ago from coordinator of adult faith formation. And he said, well, is that a change in your responsibilities? And I said, no. And he goes, do I have to pay you more money? And I go, no. And he said, well, why am I changing it? And I said, because my friends will think it's cooler. <laughs> so he changed it. He's a good man. Good man. So uh, yeah, I do that full time. It's my full time jobby job. I coordinate uh, 39 different adult faith formation ministries. Um, and then on the side, I do Catching Foxes, and I run layevangelist.com, which is a website seen by dozens. So, um, <laughs> And I travel around and give talks and stuff, and that kind of comes from that website. Cool. Very cool. Yep. And so real quick before we move on to our topic today, which is millennials, let's talk about, or I want to ask you why you chose, not why you chose the name, why you do the podcast. Sure. Um, so... Uh, I started to wrestle around with the, okay, I'll be really blunt out of desperation. Um, that I had turned down a job and I moved to Denver 
and it didn't really work out. So I had to go back to this other job that I used to have in the middle of middle of like nowhere and was just at a point where I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I was uh, turning to a lot of um, podcasts as because I'm a, like we're both huge podcast fans, like huge have been since yep. the aughts. And um, I the stuff that I was hearing in terms of I, I, I wasn't listening to any Catholic podcast because I, I did not really I did not I'm going to know that any existed. And it kind of frustrated me. And we had like talked about always in the past we had talked about wanting to do a podcast and I was kind of at a desperate point in my career where I was like screw it I just need to do something and um I kind of so I basically approached Gomer about I was like hey I have an idea for a podcast where we just talk about like the important things in life and pop culture and just and then it kind of came from that so it wasn't really out of like it wasn't a career move per, per, per se, but it did come about because I was in a point in my life was like, if I don't do something that I'm really passionate about, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, it's been fruitful. And we, I mean, we're both fans. Marissa is especially yeah. a big fan of the podcast. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And we're, um, you know, just trying to do what you do. So we're just not as funny. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really like your podcast um, because... Well, I don't know. I, I I think our generation, and this goes to the topic of today's podcast, um, we are talking about millennials, you know, buzzword. Um, but just that I think our generation is, um, there is a lot of desperation for meaning and for something that's, um, I don't know, just, and I, I this word is so overused, but authentic, um, just something that's without pretense. And one of the, like one of the episodes that I really liked, you had, I think it was spoiler alert, spoiler alert, we got divorced and I guess you guys had a buddy mm. on. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, it just, I was like, I've never heard anything like this in a Catholic circle talked about. Um, cause I think in, in Catholic circles, it's like, let's button up everything so neatly and, you know, make everything so polished. Um, and like, I've got a lot of friends who are all in life teen and in high school and, and now they're graduated college and like just a lot of brokenness that has come out now that was just never like they never felt like they could have dealt with mm-hmm. it then um, because yeah. everything had to be so perfect. And so um, I just think our generation has a lot of that kind of like that desperate cry for meaning, community, uh, relationship and um I think your your podcast really resonates. So um, that's that's one of the reasons why I really was I was like, I, you know, we could have anybody on to talk about millennials, but I felt like uh, you guys were like have a personal you you have a particular charism for uh, reaching out of your own experience and really understanding um, where a lot of different people are coming from and <clears throat> how we as a, as a church can better. Yeah, just better serve this this group of of young people. So, yeah, me and Luke were in a uh, a household at Franciscan called AMDG, and we're a group of very self important, obnoxious guys. Um, <laughs> but one of the mottos that we had uh, was a lyric taken from a song that was our household song that Ben Walther had written, and the lyric that we printed on our sweatshirts and whatnot, and kind of like. I really feel embody the ethos of AMDG is father. You are found in the broken. So as broken, we come like this notion that Jesus Christ, while we were enemies of God, 
did not walk away from us, but rather took the very thing that made us enemies of God into himself is the very source of, uh, should be the very source of Christian honesty and vulnerability with one another. But what ends up coming across is um, we desperately want to show others, our, you know, put our best foot forward. And so often the real hurt that lies under underneath becomes masked and um, without even intending it. Like no Life Team youth minister or any other youth ministry program intends for their children, you know, the students in their ministry to be fake or whatever. But it tends to happen when you when you're part of the youth group click. And I was a youth minister for 10 years. I created many a youth group click. Um, when they when they become the leaders and you put so much emphasis on these high school students, to, now you got to lead and now you got to be a witness and now you got to do all this mm-hmm. stuff that it strips them away, uh, strips away their ability to be honest. But when that honesty happens, there is so much healing. And I tell yeah. people this. I tell people this all the time. Uh, you know, sacramental confession is amazing, right? It is so amazing. It's so freeing, but it's limited insofar as the seal of the confessional is limited. If you really want to change your life, you have to have people walking with you. So the phrase is, if you want to be forgiven, go to confession. If you want to change, you got to go to community. Because if you don't have other people that you can be bone crushingly honest with, then you will never change. If you have reoccurring thoughts, habits, behaviors that you want to get rid of and you never share that with anyone, guess what? They'll only grow worse. And so mm-hmm. what we're finding is uh, you have this, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses mentality of our grandparents and um, our parents wanting us to live better lives than they lived gets put onto us. And as millennials and that whole generation, um, you know, we're the older group of millennials in our 30s, younger millennials entering the workforce now. But what we see is this constant desire for authenticity, whether expressed through our consumer choices of artisanal and, you know, vintage and all this stuff, utterly unique. But at the same time, I think it's a haunting desire for community based on brokenness, right? Like, hey, you're just as messed up as I am. And we I know we could admit, like, in a general way, we are messed up, but it's a totally different thing to say. Uh, I, I feel deflated because of what my boss said at work, so I'm going to go home and look at pornography to feel better. Like, people aren't saying stuff like that, and because even though we know people are doing that, and so we're just trying to give people, and this is going to sound totally lame, but it's very true, a safe place to hear a dangerous message of the gospel, mm-hmm. but still a safe yeah. place that they can talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of the women at the well going on with what we are doing, I I think. You know, it's um, it's both the... Christ going, well, no, actually you, you have five husbands and then it's the healing that happens there. And then it's like, come and like, come and, um, come and check out this guy who, uh, you know, told me everything that I've done. You know, it's the whole thing as opposed to just the like story, just the, like, I'm a bad person, you know? Yeah. There is this element of where, where we want to make it as normal as possible for me and Luke having a conversation. So it's just an ongoing conversation that we have. So, uh, yeah, you, you can't pretend. There's only so far that you can pretend that there's not a microphone in your face, yeah, yeah and yeah. that this is a performance, which is which is a part of the struggle of dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like um, there's an uh, there's an understanding that the podcast is always going to change and develop, which I think is what any good type of ministry should do. 
yeah. this idea that um, this might be where where like this could be what God what he wants me to do right right now, but that doesn't mean that's what he wants me to do two years from now. Right. You know, so really responding to like what's what is the Lord doing right now? That's all. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. There's a strength with millennials in that we are the most open to change because we have nothing permanent. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, the unique situation the Catholic Church is in with millennials, if we don't realize this, is there is nothing permanent in our society, right? Mm-hmm. We, are all, we are all tourists going from one thing to the next. So things that are anchors of permanence or oldness or stability, right, those are attractive things, or at least they can be. And there is this overwhelming tendency to try to modernize everything and make it cool and hip. There, there's parts where that where that is absolutely necessary, like in flyers and websites, like you should be modern and whatever. But the church still needs to be the church. And so what um, what a lot of times you find is that we are much more comfortable with changing things uh, because we don't marry our our method. Right. So you, you, there's always new things that you can do and adopt. We marry we marry the model that we want to kind of build it around. But. There's so many different things that if, if you're not constantly changing in this world, uh, not in essentials, right? Um, right, right. Then, then you're being actually – you're not serving your people who are, are, are bouncing around. So there's a, there's a tension that always exists between the, the ever ancient and ever new kind of structure of the church, right? I mean she's a 2,000-year-old institution rooted in the love of Jesus Christ and it's his church. Yeah. But at the same time, we're speaking to modern man or postmodern woman, you know, like – what does that mean? How do we grapple with that? If, if we just keep publishing bulletin posts uh, regarding men as breadwinners and women as stay-at-home mothers and 50% of the people in our congregation aren't married or if they're married, they're cohabiting, we are deliberately blocking them out as if they don't exist. And so ever new ma- – and I'm, I stumble over this stuff all the time. You know, One time I did a blog post or a Facebook post saying here's all the working fathers out there with the expectation to do one on working mothers the next day. And I got slammed because it's like, well, what about the mothers? Well, what about the women? What about, about? And I'm like, that's kind. Of, and I just replied to everyone, that's coming tomorrow. It's coming, coming tomorrow. It's coming, coming, coming tomorrow. <laughs> but you know, I mean, they're used to getting ignored, and they're they're also used to not being ignored except when they come to church. And so there's those <laughs> that those t- tensions that we need to that we need to address. Hmm. What would you want to say to somebody who's like, hey, I'm 30. I don't really like. I'm not really into religion, but I've been Catholic and like. I'm kind mm-hmm. of interested. I think it's important, but I don't know where to start. Like, how do you grab that person? And then like with the the message of like who Christ is and who Christ can be to that person. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think the starting point with the church has uh, this is within the modern church here in the uh, in the um like America has always been um, to like make Christ cool or how do we like make him like relevant? to to others and when you're dealing with a millennials that's completely the wrong point i think the starting point is does god even exist is belief irrational is it is 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 it rational to believe in a god you know because that's where that's what uh Public Benedict calls the crisis of um, the uh, crisis of like faith is that that's where we are. It's it's, it's not about um, Christ being relevant, but it's that is it even rational to believe in a God? And that's kind of where 
I like to that's that's the starting point that I take with a lot of the ministry that I do is that is belief in Jesus Christ rational? Can I even believe in it? Like, what does that because I think the the desire for God is there. I think everyone will like admit to like, yeah, like there's got to be like more to this world, right? You know, um, but I think the I think the stumbling block for a lot of people isn't what Christ offers at all. I think it's more just the fact that like it's just like does is it actually real? Is God actually real? And I and um, I until the I think as a church we really need to take a step back and within a lot of like ministries address that question and really like, wrestle with that. So that's kind of the, the that's the approach that that like I would take is like is this real? Because it can be really hard sometimes to think like this is just crazy. This is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Right. You know. And um. And I think like we always have – I think one approach that we tend to take is isn't everyone like miserable? See, their life is awful because they don't have God. And I think that's really unfair to people who don't believe because their life might not be that bad. Right. You know, like they right. might be kind of OK. And um, now I'm not trying to say that like what's going on in their life isn't that like I, I'm not trying to say that um, sin hurts us. Regardless of what we believe, and I'm not trying to say that that isn't going on, but I think all things, um, all things considered, they might be okay. So why is God important? Is the idea of God even important? Kind of unpack a little bit. So I don't know if that's a direct answer to your question, but that's what like I'm wrestling with right now. Yeah, I was on an airplane um, traveling not too long ago, and you know, got in the conversation with the person sitting next to me and they were asking him what I was doing and I was, you know, traveling for a training and started talking about work and what we do. And so they said, um, so you really believe this whole, like you're sold no Christianity thing. And I was like, well, obviously yes. And they said, well, um, cause they were an agnostic and they weren't sure. And we had this conversation. They said, so simply, why do you, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And, um, I think they were looking for, I think they were expecting an answer from me that was going to be, well, because, my religion teaches this, you know, like you could say, well, Buddhism teaches this or Christianity teaches this or Hinduism teaches this and mine's better because, but I think that's what they were expecting. I don't know. I'm kind of putting words in their mouth, but my answer was because it's true. And they looked at me like, what? And I said, well, because it's mm-hmm. truth and, and I want my life to conform. I want to live in reality. And if my life is not conforming to reality, then I'm, I'm it's basically insanity. And so I want to know what's true. And so for me, it came down to what is true. And I want to conform my life to that truth. And then the conversation changed from, you know, what is religion? What is, why do you believe this to, well, what is truth? And then we, in the exactly. conversation, we went to a whole conversation of like, how do you know what truth is? And, and, you know, and then eventually we landed and had to get our luggage. But, you know, it was a great, it was just a great moment on the plane of it, a great conversation to have with somebody. And they were, who was open to having that conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's a great place to, to start. Yeah, and and I think that's where you can really try to bring Christ into that 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 conversation, because then you start to ask, well, what does Christ have to say about what is true? Mm-hmm. You know, what does Christ have to say about what it means to be a person? You know, because ultimately, this is the answer to our existence. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and so like that's the core that I think as a church we really need to get to because I so often it's just like how do we get them back for, you know, 
confirmation. I'm like, that's what? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's like, okay. And then, and then what? We get everyone back. And then, and then what? Like, I would so, I kind of think that's what, like, the Pope is, was what he's saying when he says, I would rather have a sick church, so I would rather have like a wounded church than um, a sick church. I think that if I'm, if I'm getting that right, this idea of like, yeah, it's maybe we're, we're not as big as we like could be, but we're getting to the heart of who and what we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that like people will talk about the kerygma like that, that we need to start proclaiming the kerygma. And I I 100 percent agree. Um, I'm not in any way, shape or form. I mean, the, the opposite. I, but I think it's you can't just go around proclaiming something outside of the context of someone's life. Um, and so like relationship, <clears throat> like that relationship, um, has to be established first. And so I guess like my next question would be like, well, how, how do we get to the point where like one, it's rare for millennials to even like come through a church door. Um, so there's that. And then once they're there, they kind of drift in and drift out and nobody notices and nobody says anything to them. Um, and I'm not saying like having a hospitality committee that's <laughs> appointed with identifying millennials is the, yeah. <laughs> is <Yep>. the response, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess maybe, um, Gomer, if you want to kind of talk to that, like, how do you, how do we establish the relationship where we can then well, like communicate truth and, and understand like where that person's coming from? Um, I think you know. you're, you, we have a couple uphill battles that we're fighting in dealing with this in general. Um, Number one, the the story of who Jesus is 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 completely gone in our culture. It's no longer. I mean, you really have to. Well, very few people know what Christmas is about if they're six, seven, ten years old. Like they don't even know about Jesus in it. They don't even know about Jesus and Easter. Like they don't know. And so uh, there's the element where you know you're talking about the charismatic proclamation, bringing it back to the basic gospel message. Uh, that's important. But the other things that we're fighting are more cultural. And uh, this is where this is where the me and Luke kind of do our baby boomers are ruining everything commentary, <laughs> which is tongue in cheek to a point. Um, but one of the major ways that baby boomers have actually ruined Christianity in America is by identifying it so closely with the Republican Party or if not that with conservatism as a political movement. Because when when you do that, whether it's on the left or on the right, and, and earlier generations had done it with the Democrats, like you know being in New England and the Democratic Party, and uh, the Irish who just expected to be a Democrat in the you know 20s and 30s. Um, when you when you identify the eternal church with a political organization, every fault and flaw of that political organization gets predicated back onto the church, and. With the abortion issue and the marriage issue, uh, not the church, but many, many loud voices within the church so identified with the Republican Party on those specific issues that millennials today who who were raised in an Obama administration um, and now look at Donald Trump with, with abject horror as a person, right? identify they, they they find it almost impossible to connect their dad's christianity or their mom's christianity which uplifts donald trump and pushes down you know you know whatever and they see the racism that you know they are raised in such a tolerant environment that anything that smacks of racism or sexism they want to push away and i don't think we're real i think oftentimes we people are more eager in the church to convert them to our political stance and our moral stance more than we are to jesus christ 
Mm-hmm. And so part of the um, the reality of encountering millennials, okay, so we say, how do we reach them if they're not in our church? I really, I think the answer is painfully obvious, but no one wants to admit it, which is Christianity has to be lived outside the church. All right, we all know it. We all know this. Like, this is not anything new that I'm saying. But it, it, it actually struck home to me when I went to go see the band Me Without You. Now, they gave me free tickets, and I interviewed the guy afterwards. And as I'm waiting in line, looking at all these unwashed masses, and literally, they were gross, uh, the, all these, like, super emo kids, right? Um, I realized that no one, that very few of them have, I mean, they're, you know, most of them are doing drugs right in front of you. Uh, I'm in this concert hall, and it is like it is it is uh, uh, headbangers ballroom there, and uh, you you realize like there is no presence of church here because Christian people would not be caught dead in this establishment, and when you think of it from that perspective, right, we wouldn't be caught dead in this establishment, but that's where so many people are, right? They're mm-hmm. in the the more artistic areas of of the community. They're moving back to cities. Our churches. Have all we're all in the suburban captivity of the churches now. It's all in the suburbs. Yeah. We've tripled down on suburban ministry. And now millennials are moving back to the city. And you're talking about gentrification. You're also talking about just urbanization as a widespread world movement. And where are the churches? The churches are now all in the suburbs. And so you're we're gonna have this massive struggle unless we, not as a not as a parish staff, dear Lord, not as a parish staff, not as another program to run. But as individuals and friends going into the cities and doing ministry as Catholic lay people. And if you read the documents of Vatican II, I think the most overlooked document is Decree on the Apostolate of the Laity. All the laity saw was, oh, look, we get to be lectors. Oh, look, we get to be extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Yay, they're getting rid of altar rails. Now we get to take the Eucharist back or whatever crap people were peddling without realizing the church is like, no, you do have a place and you have a mission. You come here to get nourished, and you leave this building in order to sanctify the temporal order. And we walked out that door. We realized how cold it was and how few people shared our values. We did a ginormous U-turn, and we're like, actually, I'd like to be a liturgical minister and a quasi-priest, and uh, I want to keep clericalism alive because I'm a layperson who is scared of evangelizing. Hmm. So if you want to know how to reach millennials, you just go where millennials are. It's, there's no one program that can do that. Other than St. Paul Street evangelization, but other than that, <laughs> well, no, it, it, you know, you, you just brought up a really great point that, like, kind of. I know, Luke. Me. That's if, what I do all day. <laughs> if um, so, Public Benedict calls the new evangelization the art, the art of living, which is what so many millennials are asking: How do I live a life? Yeah. Like that's why the art of manliness is a big block because, like, we want to know. So, um, how do I tie a tie? You know, and, and like, why is this important? And the church, like, kind of has those answers because mm-hmm. we've got 2,000 years of history, but instead we're just like banging people over the head about like, um, so like, we, we really ignore the beautiful and the good and we emphasize the true, which, which is, and, I think when you downplay those other two things, our culture just tunes you out completely. So like my, you know, like so many of the people always ask like, how do we reach the a millennial age group? Like we got to get them, we got to get them back in church. Let's have greeters. And I, I just want to scream. Do you understand? You're not even on their radar. Yeah. yeah. You're, I mean, they don't even, they don't give two 
uh, curmudgeons <laughs> about you. So, yeah, like, <laughs> like, 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 like filter, chicken filter. Yeah, like, they're so beyond us. It was like, you know, we're not so like we need to like what we do that. Like, what can we like offer them? Which I think again, sources of value and meaning. Yeah, yeah, and and um and how do you have that? How do you have that? Um, how do you have that? You know, conversation. You go out and you like make friends and you have that conversation. Like first, we we like honestly, like we have to have that because I think we are addicted yeah. to talking about what it means to be the church as opposed to actually being mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this: there's a, there's a danger in like if somebody um, who is safe and they, and they think they're pretty, pretty well formed, they think they have a pretty good relationship, and they want to go out and they start hanging out in those crowds. There's a there's a really good chance they're going to be change and they're going to be brought down instead of instead of bringing mm-hmm. somebody up and to and introduce them to christ they're going to be kind of slowly forget about him and their relationship yeah. and, and, yep. and it can go the other direction so what would you how did you suggest somebody walk that line between you know having a having a, a core group of people and an accountability group or, or whatever and then going out into those with the intention of building relationships and making friends and talking about jesus with people or how would you what would your advice so i've got be? a great i got a great story about this. Uh, when I came out of college 2006, so long ago, um, I had a really big debate on should I go back home and should I live with all of my buddies who aren't, who have like no faith at all or, you know, going out every night doing horrible things. Um, and can I be like light to them or do I go and like move to Denver, like DC to live with my friends from like school, you know, and I go, and I really was enjoying, kind of being out of my Steubenville like bubble a little bit. And I was like, I can be a light, you know, and I went to my spiritual director's now father, John Ignatius. And he goes, Christ may have, he may have hung out with all of the prostitutes and the tax up collectors, but he lived with the apostles. Mm. And I think that's what you like you, your foundation, you have to have really strong, strong like, roots in a community of, of uh, faith. You have to. It's not. It's not an option because that's ultimately what you're trying to invite people into yeah. is that actual online community. And that's why people fall away from the RCIA. And mm-hmm. even in my own ministry, like I thought, if I double down on orthodoxy, and I d- turn up the the knob on apolo- biblical apologetics, then the men and women who convert through my formation will be the most rock solid Catholics. And guess what? They are, and they still fall away. Why? Because they don't have community. They're, I hear the story from uh, Pastor Francis Chan who talks about uh, a gang member who left his church. And this gang member, after converting, was one of the most devout members of his congregation. Volunteered for everything, led whatever he could, and he left. And then his, uh, Francis Chan finds him and says, why did you leave? And he said, I didn't realize. He said, I thought when I got baptized it was like getting jumped into a gang. Like now I'm one of you people. I didn't realize what Christianity really was. And he says, what do you mean? And he says, it's just a thing I do on Sunday. And mm. this is a notion that, that Roman Catholics do not understand how to get around, is that your Catholic faith is not exhausted by liturgy on Sunday. Right? That is literally in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Mass does not exhaust the Christian life, right? And the reason being is there is so much more to life than just going to Mass. And the fact that I even have to say this disclaimer is part of the problem. 
No, I am not denigrating the value of the Eucharist, and I do acknowledge that it is the source and summit of our faith. But what I'm saying is the, the problem is the problem is Catholic community. We don't have a really strong domestic church, right, where so much is done on campus that I feel like culturally we uh, demote the domestic church, even though we say out loud, families, you're the parents, you're the primary educators of the kids. We don't equip the parents to educate the kids. We just lecture them that they should be doing this. And then we get upset when their kids don't know they are a father, right? But there's also another assumption that I think we're, we're, we're battling here is when we talk about going out and maybe I might be in danger of losing my faith, I, I would say, number one, the first assumption is that we're going alone, which we never should do. It's Jesus brought, sent his disciples out two by two. St. Paul was never without a traveling companion. Mm-hmm. We need community to minister. From. It's a community in mission. Why? Because Jesus said, I mean, there is a unique presence of Christ where two or more are gathered. And so when you're going out in mission, I mean, yeah, you might physically find yourself being alone. But like Luke said, you need to live in community. It's absolutely true. And Catholic leaders are more alone now than ever. Catholic clergy are more alone now than ever. And they experience that isolation. The The other assumption, this is the most dangerous assumption, is that we are going to them with a missionary attitude uh, almost like colonizers. Like, okay, here's this pocket of millennials that I need to come and bring Christ to. But with that comes the assumption that I have all the answers. And that's a, a really dangerous assumption to make. And I'm not saying that you're making that, but there's this assumption to make that I'm going to go and witness to them because they are, and this is the assumption, they are totally wrong. And I have Jesus there or the Catholic Church or whatever. So therefore, I'm totally right. And what ends up happening is without the introduction of of a two-way form of communication, it will never penetrate those groups. You might pick off one or two people, uh, and you will feel like a sniper picking people off. You might pick off one or two people from a group of, uh, of you know, atheist, agnostic, or non-millennials, but you're not, you're not building what we want, which is a community of justice and peace and, and grace. You're not building that if you aren't receptive to what they have to give. Because if we believe that they're made in the image of likeness of God, Pope John Paul II had this great line, all that which is authentically human has its place in the church. Hmm. So as people return to, like millennials are very localist, right? They're not nationalist. They're not internationalist or globalist. They're localist. Austin, Texas. Keep Austin weird. Why? What does that mean? Well, they banned all big box retailers from the heart of the city. If you want to go to a Target or a Walmart, you got to go outside the city limits. Why? Because they want to foster the local. And when you realize this, right, there is a massive amounts of benefit to this that we don't always see. And we don't realize that we're carrying our political, social and cultural assumptions into the conversation. That's why. And this is the thing that I think is so fascinating. That's why we need to be men and women who fast and who do mortifications, because we need to restrict our tongues. And that only comes about through asceticism. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and St. Paul, Pope John Paul II said so that we can say, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And often we just commingle it with so much of our own agendas that we don't even, that we're presupposing in ourselves that we don't even address consciously. And so one of the big things, just reiterating, is having the realization that it's a two-way conversation, that we need to do as much listening as we are talking. Yeah, that's just awesome that you say that, because I think one of the uh, one of the things that, that bugs me personally uh, and I know that others are, are becoming fed up with it, is like, I mean, Luke. just blog post okay. after... <laughs> yeah. <Just> <laughs> it. <laughs> just like blog post after blog post after 
you know and it, catholic blog secular blog doesn't matter but like what is wrong with millennials or understanding oh, the yeah. millennial or yeah. like why can't millennials function in the workplace it's like stop looking at us as a demographic group and get to know one of us really well yeah. <laughs> um and that's something that it, that like i've got something to bring to the table just because i'm a human being not because i'm a yeah. millennial mm-hmm. not because and i think there was some circulating blog post that said like does your did your church hire a millennial to manage their social media it's like that's the only thing we have to bring to the church is like, <laughs> yeah snapchat um, snapchat <laughs> what is snapchat <laughs> but yeah to me it just does um <clears throat> it minimizes and really sells short um it just like the catholic understanding of the human person that each person is unique yeah um and that's one of the reasons why, Gomer, you're talking about the family, the domestic church. Like in my family, we, I, the most conversions that I have witnessed personally in my life that have taken place and taken root and then like really sent somebody in a totally different trajectory than what they, you know, where they were going, that happened by having them over for dinner. Yep. Like just, mm-hmm. and, and they were friends of my siblings, friends of myself who came into our family, they didn't maybe didn't have strong family roots, or maybe they, they did, but there was something lacking or or nothing lacking. They just like came, became a part of this family community. And my family was really tight knit and we were very dysfunctional, but people saw that because they came over for dinner and like witnessed those kinds <laughs> of arguments that happened and the kind of yeah. um anyways, this is a tangent, but but basically what I'm saying is that I think that fostering community in the family is one of the one of the most important things. Like young people who have families, they are the ones who are in a unique position to be able to um, reach out to their friends who just don't have families. <laughs> and, yeah, like, I mean, and who are ultimately isolated. Who are isolated you know, it, exactly? Because like that's what hell, I mean. Hell is isolation. Yeah. yeah. And so when we. Um, there's uh, I think there's always, and I think this is a good thing. This we want to put people in a box. So here's what I mean by by it's um a good thing is that, like, my when I when I when I was not married, my life was completely different than the majority of my friends who were, just completely different. It was amazing, um, and so uh. I mean, I really like being married, but this, you know, it's, it was fun. Um, and, but my, uh, probably some of my most profound experiences of joy were like with my friend's kids and just being around, you know? And so it's, it's kind of like, like you do want to speak to, to where people are, but let's not cut ourselves off from anything either, because ultimately what makes Christianity attractive, I think is joy. And that can only be experienced through Christ impacting our only humanity, like the very core of who we are. And what better way to experience that, that than in families? So, yeah. That's and here's point. the deal. You are seeing. So you have these twin issues of um, the reason why one of the reasons why you can lump millennials into a demographic is the we were children when at various stages of the technological shift to very personal electronics <clears throat> i mean having a sony walkman was <laughs> revolutionary um at the time but now having the entire internet in hd video 
um, and online streaming of every music that every song ever made. I mean, 30 million on the Apple iTunes catalog um, or Apple Music catalog. You you have access to things that no one ever had access to, and it's consumed with earbuds in, right? Uh, and a screen made for really just for one pair of eyes. So people are being isolated more. We are there is a profound amount of isolation. But then again, millennials are moving to things like open workspaces. They're moving to things like um, vinyl records, <laughs> vinyl crappy record. But they're moving to these shared experiences of of entertainment. They're moving to shared experiences of working. Um, how many millennials? Because okay, yes, they work on their laptop and they're software designers or graphic artists who spend all day isolated on a laptop. But they are at a coffee shop mm-hmm. that they go to regularly, that they have ongoing conversations with mm-hmm. the people who are there. I mean, the number one most effective tool of evangelization is be a regular at places you like so that you're happy to go there. You're a joy when you're there and you get to know people in the community. And so the problem is with so much of um, pigeonholing millennials is that it, it makes these broad brush stupid things. But the other thing is um, we really do have to respond to how people are being shaped and formed by electronics today. And me and Luke have talked about that exhaustively. exhaustively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and it, I mean, it, it really ultimately, I, I think when you try to approach a person, again, going back to the idea of like the art of living, that's so different than turning a person into a project, which is just come join my club. Mm-hmm. So we can have we can increase all of our all of our, our numbers. So we can feel like you know warm and safe that our church won't close down, which is what's going to happen. Yeah, right. Like massively. Yeah, it's, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's but like, anyways, yeah, we are headed for this big waterfall, and everybody's like looking out the back of the ship, pretending like <laughs> we're not about to to go down hard. But um, one of the things that you Gomer just said, and, and Luke kind of re- you reminded me, just this idea of um, shared experiences, and just like personally, mm-hmm. um, I I like working out about as much as you guys do, um. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it doesn't show on you, and it does on. <laughs> What is your secret? It's <laughs> not true. Uh, you can only see my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, but uh but I like Groupon. And on Groupon <laughs> there was uh there was a Groupon for CrossFit, like a month of CrossFit, and it was really close by. Yes. And um I I hate working out, but the only times I've been moderately successful in making it happen in my life was when I did like a a boot camp. Mm-hmm. So like this was the closest thing that I I got. But I committed. I was like I'm going to go. I'm going to go every day after work. My husband's going to watch my son and um and uh, you know, I'm going to commit to this. So I didn't end up going every day, <laughs> but I, but I did go long enough to. But see you gave it that old college try. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but the I did old go. Millennial like, hee ho. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went um, enough to see the same faces. I went at the same time, and yeah. for about a month, and it was to me, it was like this is where millennials are going instead of church. Like this is their replacement to everybody yeah. in this room, and. 
one of my friends was was telling me she's, she's super involved in in uh baltimore and she said yeah we work out pretty much every day and then on sundays we call it sunday fun day and we all go do something fun together like a pollock or we go you know rafting or whatever and to me it was like it's like so obvious looking in um and even kind of being becoming part of that for a month and it, it's like it's so attractive to be with these people doing yep. these really difficult things, sweating together, like encouraging each other every day at the same time and kind of making small talk before and after. I was like, I've had more exposure to these people than anybody at my church. Yeah, mm-hmm. the yep. CrossFit is getting right what the church is getting wrong. This and- is workout the gospel as it applies to our workout life. This when you go to a CrossFit gym, for those of you who don't know, right, it's you, you walk in and if you're totally new, often the more experienced members walk over to you, introduce themselves and be like, here, let me show you how we, this is what we do. This is how we do it. All of this stuff, right? Immediately. Now, it's obviously a different context than coming to worship at a mass or something, but there is this hands-on, personal, no amount of artificiality, just human beings coming together for a purpose. And when you read the book of Acts or purchase mm. Ascension Press's wonderful Book of Acts study with Jeff Caven, <laughs> which I did last year, all year. I, I went through that with my parish. Um, when you look at that, you realize the church is a little bit closer to CrossFit than it is to a bunch of angry people at Daily Mass loosely tolerating each other for <laughs> 35 and a half minutes. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a question or, or, or what, but it's kind of got my wheels spinning and, and it's something that we, we talk about here at Ascension often. Um, and I'd love to get your just your thoughts around it. And that is that having a, a group experience, it doesn't have necessarily have to be at the church. People can have it in their basement, in a coffee shop, whatever, come together mm-hmm. as a community, have an experience and, and have conversation around those um, important topics. Like our world seems to, 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 uh, to uh, make a big deal about things that are very trivial, you know. And so to come together and talk about things that actually matter can be transformative in someone's life. So. You can do that outside of the parish, but there is also something to coming to the parish and um, making the parish that center of communities where you can invite people to because, like, the Mass is kind of an, an insider's thing. Like, you can't, it's not very welcoming to, to bring somebody to Mass who's never been to Mass mm-hmm. before. And they're like, what the heck am I doing, you know? So to have some kind of event, you can invite people from the outside to an event that is um, welcoming and, and can they can kind of... Just be themselves and feel feel at ease and safe and that sort of thing. So and have those conversations. So, so I guess my question is, um, is it a both and or you think because there's some there's some fear of okay if everything starts to move out of the church, then the church ceases to be the community. But people aren't coming to the church, but they'll come to my basement for a brewing and and watch a watch something or read something and talk about something. So what are your just thoughts on that in general? I, I think that our parishes are called to be homes of formation. But I think what we do is we confuse the word hosting uh, with the, the parish campus, right? Uh, I think the parish should be the center of systematic catechesis and all this stuff. But that doesn't mean that it has to happen on parish grounds. In fact, I would argue that the more ancient you go into the church's past, mm-hmm. the medieval era, the less you find it happening at the parish because they didn't have facilities they just had a sanctuary i mean you go to churches that are 80 years old they don't even have bathrooms in the building right and you're like oh crap this is this is the old church i gotta go next door to their newly renovated parish hall in order to find a bathroom right and get yelled at by the lady oh no why is that lady, lady at every parish um but when you so the church and, and i remember getting into this with an individual who could not conceive 
of formation done anywhere else except in the parish. Unless it was like a religious order and, you know, in, in some other place. But constantly calling people back to, again, and this is my phrase that I have tried my best to coin and become part of the quote conversation is uh is uh, right millennials have conversations right is uh formation is not just education or education does not exhaust formation mm-hmm, yeah. and so when you are deliberately focusing everything at the parish setting so i mean like look at ascension press ascension press just opened up their model of online streaming so you can purchase uh the you just purchase the leaders guy or the the guy the books and then you can host it in your home and so my biggest thing is we don't need to have a capital campaign to build 57 buildings. We already have all the space we need in everyone's home. Let the parish build the scaffolding to enable you to go and dream big and do big things. But you don't need the parish. I mean, lay people do not need the parish to ratify their mission, right? The Vatican already did that. The gospel already did that. And as lay Christian faithful... Um, it is a part of our job to um, build up the body of Christ. Like that is, that is more a part of who we are than even receiving the sacraments is proclaiming the word. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. We just we're sacramentalized and not evangelized, and so we don't know how to evangelize. Hmm. And I think we need to continue to maybe not have the things that we do at the parish always be about here's here's this like information that we're gonna put from our heads into yours. As instead of being like, let's create a let's create a space. I hate these were like, you know, let's have have like a safe space, but like a place where we can honestly unpack these ideas, so you know that you are not alone. Yeah. And here's the deal: we we joke around about safe places and snowflakes, right? But the problem is the reason why we talk about creating these places to be honest is because the 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 lack of authenticity is a safe place. For a large amount of people, right? If I don't air my dirty laundry, no one knows that I have any. Mm-hmm. And so that's safe for me. But the problem is it's not actually bringing the healing power of Jesus Christ in their lives because we're building it on the sand of, uh, uh, of illusions. Mm-hmm. And Christ wants us to go beyond illusions into, you know, humbly regard ourselves um, with sober judgment. He wants us to look at our souls and see as it, as it really is. Well, I, you know, and we're crazy if we don't admit that we that we all need profound healing. Yeah. You know, and if there's one thing that I would tell everyone, like how what should I incorporate into my, you know, own my um own ministry? Some aspect of healing. Especially like whether it be emotional healing. I mean, and again, faith and reason cannot emphasize that enough here. So like <laughs> we're not counselors, okay? You know, um, but uh, unless you are, then like awesome, um, <laughs> you know, but like some double like, plus like, good, like God does want to, like, I think there is uh, like a whole bunch of things that we, that, that God does want to, you know, heal us of. Like we all need, like we're all pretty messed up. Right. I just want to like make, like we all kind of agree that we're <laughs> oh, profoundly yeah. broken because we are a millennials, you know? <laughs> so like <laughs> if you haven't been to counseling by the age of like 25, I'm a little bit worried about you. <laughs> You're you know, and wrong. And, you know, and to act like you, I, I mean, in almost every aspect in my life, like, I think I'm broken in like some way. There's always more healing than I'm going uh, to need. And if we're going to act like racism isn't a thing that we need to be healed from, I think we are kidding ourselves. Yeah. And we're not saying glorify uh, someone's sinfulness or whatever, but there is a, a certain um, 
approachability to somebody once they become once they make themselves vulnerable and somebody says yes me too let's talk about yeah. this yeah. Uh, yeah so huge i mean like honestly i don't think i could be catholic if we weren't having these conversations anymore mm. i just i think i would have thrown in the towel about six or seven like or six or seven um six or seven like years ago i would have been like no nah, i'm just done this is too much. It's, not, it's just all just, you know, shine like shine. It's all like shine Jesus shine, and I I just don't see it. So I'm done. You know, I mean, honestly, like, that's yeah. that's like yeah. kind of yeah. like where where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let, let, we need to quit blaming millennials for being this, that, and the other, and we need to really start doubling down on on healing and on and, community, yeah. and put the blame where it belongs on the baby boomers. <laughs> Look at you, baby boomers. Look at you, Gen Xers skating by under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> I love there's this great tweet that like I just loved it was when the uh, Trump North Korea thing happened where a guy said as a Gen Xer, I cannot tell you how angry I am that the end of the world's going to be caused by a baby by a baby boomer and a, a millennial arguing about who's more important. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. There's, a, there's just a really important question that we have to ask before we leave. Here we go. Here. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. If, oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. If, no, fine. if you were, if you were a song in the Gather Hymnal, written by Baby Boomers, <laughs> what song would you be? <laughs> I would be anyone Luke, that was. Luke, Luke, I think you should sing it as your response. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Um. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? <laughs> I have heard you insert guy who changed some of the words because they were t- too sexist here. <laughs> calling in the night. If you lead me, I don't know where I'm going here. Uh, I have called you. Straight into the pits of hell. Something <laughs> here. Something, something. Let's make it very anthropocentric. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to mind this. I'm going to mind this. You guys can't see it, but Luke's actually dancing too liturgically. <laughs> Listen, I went and to Steubenville, you don't want to see it. so I'm against <laughs> a liturgical dancing, but like not all that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, let's not kid ourselves here. We had tambourines. <laughs> all right, Gomer, what about you? Yeah. Oh man, uh, I really do think there's only one answer to that question. Peace is flowing like a river <laughs> flowing out of you and me. How did that ever get put in a book? It is the most infantile. Was that a children's <laughs> liturgy of the word song that they accidentally published in an hey. adult book? All are welcome. All are welcome to this place that doesn't allow you to receive if you're under the state of the state like Moral Center or haven't gone through nineteen weeks of nineteen weeks of classes. But all are welcome. Gather us in the rich and the hot. Oh man, my favorite my favorite part of that heresy, a heretical song, Gather Us In, is where they say, Not in some heaven light years away. Like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Not in Han Solo's heaven. (laughs) I never realized they said that. Yeah, it's the very last stanza. Not in some heaven light years away. Oh, my gosh. So annoying. And there's also a song called Brightest and Best 
So I'll take that one too. <laughs> <laughs> that's you what's in your so Twitter funny? profile anyway. <laughs> like that's what we're like raised on. Like we were like raised <laughs> on things like brightest and best and like, you know, clouds with like cotton balls and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and you, and you're like angry that we aren't um, the guys who stormed the beaches of Normandy. <laughs> yeah. You're the one that taught us. It's your fault. I'm just like, oh. But guys, yeah. we have to end this conversation because I have a mani petty in about 20 oh, minutes. I'm yeah, I'm so sorry. All right, guys. Um, hey, man, it's been a pleasure to uh, talk and listen to you guys and just laugh with you today. And, and I hope um, our listeners, if you have not already gone down, gone and downloaded their podcast, do so. Just don't listen. <laughs> To it with your kids in the car. Um, nope. They do. Yeah, seriously. Don't not listen a to an conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Check the podcast before you hit play and then don't <laughs> yell at us when you're mad because we're talking about like real things. <laughs> so there you have it. So, <laughs> but guys, and do enjoy, um, listen to them and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing good stuff. Know that we're praying for you. And uh, if you have not already checked out our survey, please do so. Let us know who the heck you are and we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>